Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. Excellent. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hardly need to preach after that. That's a pretty clear word. <clears throat> but we've got a few more minutes, so I better say some stuff. Um, I want to remind you to, um, first of all, just along those lines of prayer that under the, um, the invitation of Premier Kenny, he wants us to be praying against um, all of the impact of COVID in our province. And so we've gathered as, a, as pastors across our province and agreed to pray for prosperity to be restored and all of the, all of the effects of COVID uh, would be completely silenced, shut down and on our, not on our borders would COVID have any more reign of terror. So please do that every day, <clears throat> if you could. Yeah, with me uh, as well. Um, I mean, uh, so I, I'm going to share a few thoughts because um, it's kind of that time. These are a little bit awkward moments. And um, when I think of 25 years, um, I think of uh, one of my favorite quotes of Winston Churchill was his definition of success was going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. It's probably been the case for me of all the things we have likely done wrong, but just... <laughs> Like Proverbs chapter 24 says that even though a righteous man falls down seven times, he gets back up. So fall seven, get up eight. That's kind of the equation. Just keep getting up. <laughs> and whether you feel like it or not, you, you, you get up and you get going. When, when um, you know, I, I was thinking about when we, what we give, um, looking forward to someday the Lord saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And I had thought um, to myself, um, like, what did I do? that he didn't enable me to do. <laughs> he, he's, he, so when he says, well done, it's really for the work that he's done. <laughs> what, can, what can we do? He says, without me, you can do anything, nothing. So what can, we, what can we even congratulate ourselves for? The truth is that what we need to be remindful of is not a faithful servant, it's a faithful God. <laughs> he's been incredibly faithful. And the patience that you all have had with me, um, that, that's the miracle and that he'll continue to use me um, while, I'm, while he's in the process of transforming me. I, will, I hope I, say, I remember to say thank you enough. I'll probably miss some people. Uh, it surely isn't my intention. And, um, but I have uh, made a few observations. One, like a lot of things can change in six months. Six months. A lot of things change. Um, I just brought out a winter shirt, and I realized after six months, just hanging in the closet, it got smaller. <laughs> six months. A lot can change in six months. <laughs> um, the, um, the church uh, has been through three significant changes in the last 2,000 years. And in the last decade, I'd learned, I've learned a whole new vocabulary. Like six months ago, we didn't know what social distancing even was. <clears throat> there has been a there's been a three shifts. Uh, the pre-modern shift, uh, or the pre-modern church, was organic. It was communal. 
Uh, it's even hard to overlay the, what took place in the early church over the COVID Canada right now. But if a letter was sent, it was actually read out loud to the people. Everybody would gather, priest, pastor, apostle would read a letter. Shortly after that, so we, we think around 100 AD, there's approximately 7,500 followers. By 300 AD, under Constantine, when he came on the scene, there's approximately 30 million something changed because they began now to, because the written word, and then in 14-something, the Gutenberg Press, and it was now then under the uh, written word. It was oral, then it's written. We have went through a change in these last, in the last year, where now it's changed to digital. We have seen the seismic shift where both our mission field and the way that we communicate has changed. That's required a lot of adaptation. It's forced us to adapt, which is fine if you like, adapting. I've went from uh, two, two channels in, bla in black and white TV to transhumanism and artificial intelligence in my short lifetime here. A lot, a lot has changed. Um, when we started the church, of course, we had overheads. You remember overheads? <laughs> Lots of change since overheads. <clears throat> um, Trevor told me one day that his mom had a blog, and I said, oh, would you like me to pray for her? I didn't know what a blog was. <laughs> I thought it was a, 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 some sort of a disorder. Auto-correcting, wouldn't it have been great if we have auto-correcting in our preaching? <laughs> I, I sent a text to my sister yes, uh, uh, on the weekend, and I said, um, I'm enjoying the fall colors. It auto-corrected and said colorectal. <laughs> Enjoying the fall colorectal, <clears throat> a term I have become familiar with and a little bit frightened of. In, in 1995, we never had an emoji, we never had a meme. Heck, we never even had an Instagram account. We did have a Twitter feed because on my backyard, I feed birds. <laughs> we, um, um, we certainly didn't have a mashup. I'm not even sure what that is right now. We had twerps, but apparently there's a thing called a twerk right now. I don't even know what that is. But words have changed a lot, and so um, I'm just, I just want to share a couple of thoughts about the church and about when we started, um, like a lot has changed. And um, let me be as frank as I can without embarrassing others here, but I've often wondered, like, what am I really doing? <clears throat> that may seem strange to you. It may be obvious to you. <laughs> I wonder, what am I doing? And, then, and of course, it keeps, it continue, things continue to change. Um, what am I doing? And I remember when we started, uh, pardon me, it was, uh, when I started this whole ministry thing, it was November 1988. Uh, I was 31. <clears throat> and uh, I was asked to help at, the, at the, our local church. Both Paul and uh, Peter would say, um, Paul, a servant, or Peter, a servant called to be an apostle. We're first servants. We lead, we, we lead by serving, and we serve by leading. That's what we do. And, um, and the church needed help, so I just said I would help. It was November, and uh, they offered me $100 a week um, at that time. Uh, my mortgage was $380 a week or a month at that time. And so I thought that was not bad. I, we could, the, the deep freeze was full of moose meat. The pantry was full of canning. The cold room had lots of carrots and potatoes. So 100 bucks a week was pretty good. I thought, I thought we'll be just fine. I needed to, uh, 
that, that required I do a Sunday morning service with the youth, a Friday evening event with the youth, and on Wednesday I would drive to an Indian reserve and preach. And uh, our kids wouldn't remember um, me uh, jumping in the Jeep at 44 below and driving for an hour and a half out to an Indian reserve and uh, taking a blanket with me because the heater couldn't keep up and taking a can of gas because uh, the Jeep was pretty, it was a V8 and it was cold and they, w they wouldn't remember that specifically. But many times as I drove out to Red Earth, I would ask the Lord, like, like what am I doing? <laughs> I don't know how to preach. Uh, I don't, heck, I don't even know. I asked G.S. McLean once, if you heard of a man named G.S. McLean from Eston, I said, what's it take to be a good pastor? He said, oh, it'll kill you. <laughs> so like a good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. I go, oh, I don't know if I want to do that or not. What am I doing? So I'd have to ask myself that question over and over again. Um, what am I doing? You know what I, you know what I think I'll be remembered for more than anything will be the guy that was able to include, gather, and include other people to do a great thing. I, it's not that, that I should, we need to be honest about the whole uh, assessment of stuff. I've, I've got some great people gathered around me. That's what's happened. And uh, mysteriously, they just kind of show up. Uh, people like Trevor Garrett, like and Amy, they were just married. They drove out. They seen the sandwich sign. Our neighbor asked me yesterday, he said, um, how many people did you start with? And I said, I started with my family and a sandwich sign. They said, really? And I thought, yeah, what am I doing? What a crazy idea. And then the Lord would bring along other great people like, gosh, Jay and Joni Harder that were just unstoppable. Larry and Susan Grant that were um, more than just strong minds and bodies, but friends and exceptional human beings like Gordon Joanne Cannon, like kind of out of nowhere. They these people just arrive, and you go, wow, has God ever been faithful? And I've simply just included other people in my world. Us, we have, that's all we've done. And then tried to learn what it means to follow the Lord in the meantime. And um, so when we first arrived uh, and we came here, um, we, uh, Chad was with me, and Lexus, our dog, was in the front. There was an accident at the first intersection in Calgary, and as we drove across the country with that big old U-Haul, um, I thought, Lord, what am I going to do when I get to the city? And uh, I got to the first intersection, and there was an accident. And I heard this voice say so very loud, I'm going to do the same to you. I'm going to crush you like a bug. Um, I was terrified at that moment because I felt the accusation of the accuser or the principality of Calgary or something say that you're not welcome here. But I had a word from the Lord, and that was contradicting the word I had from the Lord in my heart. About two or three weeks later, I was going, uh, Pastor Fenn uh, had given me an office in the downtown church, and I was uh, coming across uh, 10th Avenue there, and um, the, I had Grandpa's truck. They called it the camel. It just wouldn't stop. And uh, I was bringing my library from Nippo, and I had in the back of the truck, and I was driving across the intersection. When I went across the intersection, uh, the tailgate dropped down, and all my books went across the intersection. It was so humiliating, all these people beeping their horns, and I thought, what am I doing? <laughs> it's hard, it, 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 and, and by the time we get to fall time, you know, I'm supposed to be harvesting. I was raised from four generations of farmers. The leaves start turning color. You think, better get on the combine, better get going, and here I am out here. What am I doing? Uh, I love the fall time, and uh, while well, I love winter, 
I love spring and summer. I love, I love the seasons, but this has always been a season that reminded me of that, 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 that major change that we took. And, um, and I, I was just thinking yesterday or last week when I was with my grandson, and, and when, when I'm with my grandson or my granddaughter, I like to get them talking to me and asking me questions. And I said, Mike, do you know what the most expensive thing in the world is? And of course, he had a list of, you know, cool cars. I said, the, the most expensive thing in the world is our time because it's unrenewable. And when people think the church is built, it's, it, it has been free, that's a lie. It's been built with the sacrificial time of men and women who rolled up their sleeves and just got involved. Um, I think about this <clears throat> that, that I'll probably, I will, I don't want to miss any people, but so many people have had patience with me along the road, and I just want to thank everybody, and especially my family for the patience they've had with me, especially my wife, she, the patience she continues to have, even as we drove here today, the patience that she still has with me. And, uh, and sadly, when the enemy can't touch you, he'll often go after your kids or your, or your wife. And I can't protect them from spiritual battles. I can only help them learn how to war successfully. And we've done our best, but I don't know. I, what would I do different? I was thinking about that. What would you do different? And um, I think that I'd worry less and pray more. I think I'd fret less and risk more. I think I'd stress less and celebrate more. Like Era said, celebration is sacred. I think I'd take God more serious and myself less seriously. I think I'd laugh more, and I'd remind myself that the big work is his and that I'm never alone. I think that's what I do. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, such an interesting um, uh, text I want to share with you. And um, Well, there's two. The one, the one that's taken in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 19, and I just wrote this in. It's always been quite confusing to me, but there was, a, there was a, a, a king invited a rival kingdom to come in and have a look at, their, uh, at his treasury and look at everything. And, uh, and this is in, in 2 Kings chapter 20. And he showed him everything. And uh, a wise man came later and said, what, what did you show him? He said, I showed them everything. And he said, you were foolish because it's all going to be taken from you. And the text goes on to say stuff like, you know, your sons are going to become eunuchs and everything's going to be carried off to Babylon. And Hezekiah then said to Isaiah, this message you have given me is from the Lord. It's good. It's a strange, he's kind of thought like on, it's a weird, weird spin. It's, he kind of took it like a compliment. He said, I'm going to, everything's going to be destroyed. And then he says, but the king was thinking, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. This is probably a creed of today. Well, if it just goes okay with me in my lifetime, which is never the vision of the church. It's meant to go on generationally. We, we, we get concerned about what kind of world we're leaving to our kids. The question is, what kind of kids we're leaving to the world? <laughs> That's the big deal. So in, in thinking of that, I want to share a passage of Scripture from, from first, uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. And uh, I, I may not have time to read it all. Many of you will know the story. And then I'm just going to make a comment and close. Um, Elijah, he helps a, a widow. It says, one day the widow of one of Elijah's fellow prophets came to Elijah and cried out to him, my husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord, and you, but, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons. Elijah says, how can I help? And he asked, tell me what you have in the house. She said, nothing at all except a flask of olive oil. Elijah said, bore as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from the flask into the jar, setting the jars aside. So she did as she was told. And her sons brought many jars 
to her, and she filled one after another after another. Soon every container was filled to the brim. She says, bring me another, she said to one of her sons. And uh, there wasn't any more, he told her, and the olive oil stopped flowing. There's a, um, there's a, stra- there's a strange myth I'd like to, I'd like to um, ch- try to help defuse here, and that's that as long as you're serving the Lord, that nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. It's just, it's hilarious. But it's kind of sewn into some people's minds. Well, you know, I'm serving the Lord. Why did this bad thing happen? Like, wh- or something like that, right? And, um, and the, other, the other myth is that those who lead you have everything all together. Y'all y- know that's not right. <laughs> and so he, she's going through a very disappointing time. And I, I find preaching actually not that hard anymore. I find practicing it extremely hard. And so she, she's going through a difficult time. And um, we're told that we find great empathy when, when we've dealt with great pain. If you haven't dealt with any pain, you probably don't empathize with others very well. And if you can feel the pain of a widow, if you can feel the disappointment of a widow, she said, my husband, who had served you so faithfully, is dead now. My, they're going to come, creditors are going to come and take my kids. You need to feel the desperation in the disappointment of a widow. Feel deeply with her. She said, well, but you know, my husband's served you. He was a prophet and you trained him and you're the great man of God, Elijah. I'm happy that she went to the man of God and not to Instagram with her complaint. Of course she couldn't have, but you know what I mean. Um, you got to feel with the widow. She's confused. She's disappointed, but I can understand her logic. She gives a reason to Elijah because isn't God supposed to spare us from pain. Um, she's de- desperate. She's desperate because the disappointment is about to touch her kids. There's no parent here that understands that, Lord, you can hit me if you want, but don't touch my kids. Of course, God doesn't hit us, but you know what I'm saying. He said, we'd rather take a bullet for our kids, but for, we'd rather take a bullet and have our kids take bullets. So it's, and so she's saying they're, gonna, they're about to take my my sons, and, um, and he asked the question, I think, that, I think there's a, a pause in between there. He says, what can I do? Gosh, the, level, the amount of people have came to me with questions, and I go like, what can I do? <laughs> but then he says this in a moment of inspiration. He says, tell me what you have in the house. And she says, nothing at all. What's in, what's in the house? Nothing at all. Um, um, her perspective was that nothing was in the house. Nothing at all. Pain will do that. Just listen to me. This is a really important point. The rest is just subpoints. This is a really important point. We're, we're among not just a generation, but we're among a culture right now that thinks that there's nothing in the house of God. That, that well, what, how, how could anything in the church, how could they ever possibly have any answers? How could, how could there's nothing there. And how could it possibly help me with my relationships, with my finances, with my mortgage? How, there's nothing there. And she, but what, what happens is there's, we have generations and we have a culture that's been disappointed because they haven't had uh, an encounter with the living God. <clears throat> they don't realize he's an answer. <clears throat> they don't realize that the church is filled with answers. They don't realize it's a place of transaction where they can come and bring their sorrows and leave with a skip in their step. They don't know that yet. You and I have to give them 
that reason to say, oh, maybe there is some answers in the house of God. <clears throat> they don't think there is. <clears throat> What's in the house? Nothing is in the house. Uh, we used to sing a song, Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one, and it'll surprise you what the Lord has done. She says, nothing, pain will blind you. And many can't see the blessing, and they really can't even, there's oil in the house, they can't even see the oil. They don't even know what anointing is. They can't see it. You and I are the answer for that. Okay, there's a little oil. And I think, I th I th and I think many times that we forget that actually God doesn't need very much. But he needs a little. Just a little seed. Just a little vessel. Just a little empty jar. Doesn't need a great man or God. He just needs an available man or God. That's all he needs. Just needs a little. You can recognize a little. And then she gives an instruction. If I could just follow orders. My life has been changed because God has brought truth tellers into my life. And my decision was whether I would obey the order or not. Just give me a soldier that can obey an order. Everybody's running their own armies. It's anarchy. And, you know, and they come in the house of God and they say, hey, by the way, can you show up and help, you know, park cars? Mm. Hey, could you show up and, like, contribute? Can you show up and can you? <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. I'll be done. Just a second. My life was changed because I, I obeyed an order. It, it says here that she did as so she did as she was told, verse 5. This has been life or death to me. I find it amazing that God takes something useless and empty and turns it into abundance. She's a recycler. She went, so, so how did this work for her? She had relationships. God's looking for partnerships. It's not good that man's alone. The, the, the greatest blessing in my life has been that my kids have found partners in the house of God. There's relationships in the house of God. Did you know that? And, and, and it says, go, go to your friends and go to your relatives. You guys got any friends? Our, our, our life needs to be lived out in, in context of relationships. Where did she get the jars from? She got them from people that she was in partnership with, people she knew. You need to know some people. And you don't, you're not asking for much. Got any empty jars? God, what? He's not saying, can you give me full jars? I've discovered what I'm doing. I'm asking the Lord for empty jars. Just bring in people who are empty. And Lord, just fill them to the brim. I discovered what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing now. P people, people, you know, their lives are so full of their own self their own pain, their own disappointment, their own dreams, their own... The Lord's saying this, if you pour yours out and just come to me, I'll fill you to the brim. And he says, here's what he said to do. He says, go into your house and close the door. Shut the door, but bring your sons. I think this is phenomenal. I think our kids need to see the miracles of God. So just close the door. This isn't for the world to see. This is a, this is a private within our family. And we need the power of God seen not publicly, we need it seen privately within our own homes. And she said, just, just, just go ask for things that people aren't using. So, some people that the, the world seems to have discarded. 
that have overlooked, the world has minimized. Listen, these doors will always be open to people who are looking for Jesus. These doors will always be open. Doesn't matter the color, doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, doesn't matter nationality, not gender, and there's lots of them apparently. It doesn't matter. Whosoever will, let them come and drink. If you're hungry and you come empty, here's what my goal is, is that you leave full. Not just half full, but to the brim and running over. You bring something to the Lord, he'll fill it. David said, my cup runs over. You don't just fill it half full. You give me more than I need. You're the God of abundance. But you're going to have to come, and you're going to have to be willing to pour out your old life so I can pour in the new life. Just bring me empty jars, and I'll see that they're filled. And the interesting thing was, there was no shortage of oil. Uh, the oil won't stop as long as we bring empty jars. You bring full jars, that's going to be disappointing. You bring empty jars. If you come empty, he'll fill you. Uh, I'll bet, you, I'll bet you there was a moment right there where she says, but dang, why didn't we get more jars? This house needs to be filled. Every week, right to the brim. And if, and if there's more people come, we'll keep, we'll keep pouring. Where's the miracle? Wasn't, the miracle wasn't the jar. The miracle was the pour. You willing to pour? The water turned to wine when it started to pour. That's where the miracle is. Are you willing to give up something? Are you willing to pour yourself out a little bit? I want, well, I want to keep my life. Well, enjoy your life. But if you're willing to lose it, he says, you'll find it. Uh, empty jars. Um, when the church does its jobs, it finds empty lives and fills them. And then the result of that is the leader is provided for, the whole family, and everyone gets provided for. The... the, the if, if, we're, if the, the, the goal of the church is to be the church, if the, if, the, if the church is doing its job, it's pointing people to Jesus, getting them filled with the Holy Spirit, sending on their ways, transform people. It's really not, not much more than that. Our life has been blessed. Our life has been very blessed. And the church, Jesus saved my life. Clearly he did. Saved my soul maybe, but the church saved my life. But coming to church for me, has been, has, has saved my life, saved our marriage. And, um, and I, hope, I hope the same thing happens to you. I want to thank you for giving, for pouring out. Millions have poured out. That's wrong, thousands probably. Some of you maybe don't know that, that there's a guy named Shane Doan. I've never met him. He gave us, he gave us the money to start the church. He gave us a check of $5,000 before we got here. Never seen him. Uh, the reason that's important is because I, I need you to know there's lots of people I haven't even seen. Some I have seen, some I've noticed. But all of you have poured. It's not, it's not about me. It's about you just come and pour. God will see that many more get poured into. That's the dream and that's the goal. Um, there's been some amazing moments for me like just absolutely amazing and we just don't have time to share them all some were heavenly some were not so heavenly uh, does that, did anybody remember when Chad and Jeremy were doing that skit and Chad slapped Jeremy so hard everything went does anybody remember that poor poor guy there's been some heavenly moments in a time when church has not been seen as essential this has broken my heart 
when many can't see the reason for a local church. Yet, yet when people hit a junction in their life and they need prayer, or they hit a moment in their life and they need perspective, or there's a moment in their life where they need a service of some kind. Pastor, will you marry me? Where have you been for the last 25 years? Well, would you dedicate my kids? How do I get baptized? Where do we find shelter in the time of storm? Many will look to the local church, even if they feel self-reliant and self-made. But a, a day and a moment will come, especially if they had an interaction in the house of God. There'll be a time, maybe a tragedy. Will you help do a memorial? Will you visit my sister with cancer? Without a moment's pause, we will say yes because of the sacrifice of so many and the unselfish gifts of so many because of the willingness and the courage and the time. We will offer shelter. We will offer love. We will offer anointed worship, anointed preaching. We'll offer a place for the presence of God. <clears throat> Today is not a story of a faithful man. It's a story of a faithful God. He took a life, poured in, and the rest is about the power of God. I want to thank you for a life filled with mem memories and unforgettable moments. We will be here until Jesus comes and provide a place where the word is preached and worship is released. Where, we'll, where there'll be a weekly word of encouragement, a warm handshake and a hug. Where you'll be loved and we're going to keep the door open for empty jars. On behalf of me and my family, I want to thank you for the privilege of being your leader. I'll just invite my wife to come up and share, <clears throat> just say thank you, and then I want to pray for you all. Come on, honey. She loves this. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.